Welcome to the Discollected Podcast. We're glad you could join us. I'm Greg Lambrecht, founder of Intrinsic Therapeutics and one of the inventors of the Barricade Annular Closure Device. In this interview series, Beating the Odds of Reherniation, you'll hear from Dr. Pierce Nunley, Director of the Spine Institute of Louisiana, and Professor Claudius Tomei, the Director of Neurosurgery at the University of Innsbruck, Austria. You are listening to Chapter 4, Bone Anchored Annular Closure. So without further ado, let's hear from these two great spine surgeons. Well, good morning, everybody, and really pleasure to, to be here and be with my colleague, Claudius Tomei. Let's kind of switch gears a little bit and um, talk about the, the barricade treatment itself. You know, uh, maybe uh, describe uh, the implant uh, from a surgeon's perspective and kind of how it works. And, you know, there, there, people have heard about annular closures. I'm not going to remember, I'm not going to mention specific names uh, that didn't work. And so mm-hmm. annular closure sort of has a bad name, if you will. How is uh, Barricade, what is it, uh, and what makes it different than anything else, and why would it work when others have failed? We tried to do, um, to solve the problem of annular closure in, in a sheep model. That was 18 years ago or something. And we sutured different materials into the defect we created and did all kinds of stuff. And the problem was it never worked. Even in those young, healthy sheep, it didn't work simply because the annular tissue is just a little collagen tissue. And if you suture something, it's not healing well. It tears out if you have a lot of pressure because then we put artificially something into the nucleus to increase the pressure, everything comes out. And that's also why I did not get involved with the earlier generations of the barricade that were just put in the disc. We as surgeons would love to have something that we just put into the disc or close to the analyst that solves the problem. We've tried gluing and all kinds of things. The problem is, and I, I'm, I'm that, I found that out through our, through our sheep study, if you don't have a clear anchorage somewhere, it's not gonna hold because the pressures are massive. So I'm convinced that you have to have some attachment in bone by whatever means it is. And that's why I got involved with the barricade because this was the first implant that really said, okay, we have to anchor in the bone to have a stable um, position that can hold the excessive forces. And so the barricade, for those who don't know that, it consists of an anchor that's put in the neighboring end plate, obviously below, not with minimal damage to the, to the, to the um, end plate, to the disc, but anchors securely in bone. And then you have the flap on top, and the flap is supposed to close off the, the hole, to plug the hole that you created as a surgeon or the disc herniation created when it happened. And also something I had to learn as a, as a, as a, a, let's say a naive spine surgeon, you would always think the analyst is maybe two millimeters in thickness. You think this is a very small structure. It's not at all. It's like six, seven, eight millimeters in, in thickness. And that's also why the flap seems quite large, but actually the analyst is this thick in, in reality or a healthy analyst is that sure. is, is of that thickness. And, and that's how the, how the device works. And I think the anchorage in comparison to all the other products that have been out there, also smart people involved in those, 
that's why the others did not work, if you ask me. Yeah, I think that's that's a, a really important point, and uh, that this truly is uh, is different. And you know, I'm uh, read your uh, paper that was just uh, uh, published this year on the randomized study, and again, it was just uh, really important to highlight that there was a fifty percent. Uh, decrease in symptomatic uh, reherniations and uh, 62% uh, decreased risk of reoperations. Let's talk a little bit about this. So your reoperation uh, between the two groups was 5% for the barricade and 13% uh, for um, uh, for those that uh, randomized the control. So the first I'd ask you is why the 5%? If this is such a great device, why did you have 5%? Yeah, um, we were surprised ourselves a little bit because in those previous prospective trials of like 50 patients, like in our first trial of the first 40 patients, we didn't have a single reherniation. Um, and so we were all excited and now 5%, we thought, oh, this is worse than we expected. But as I said, I think um, mostly the smallest implant was used um, by those not that experienced surgeons, or at least some of them. And, and it still can happen that you get a reherniation because some of our patients actually don't have just an annular tear at one spot. They may have annular incompetence throughout the posterior rim of your, of your disc. And those patients, potentially, we may even not be able to treat them sufficiently with the current version of the, of the barricade. Because if, if you think about a, an annular being insufficient all around, you may get a reherniation two, three, four millimeters next to a device you have put in. So um, in those patients that did reherniate, the, usually it was that the, that the um, fragment came out next to the barricade. Yeah, so I think it's important, just like uh, probably what I've studied the most is cervical uh, disc replacement. And as you drill down into these subsets and really try to help clinicians choose what are better? I think that those that five percent will decrease is what I hear you saying. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So let's flip the coin and talk about the thirteen percent of reherniations. Now, my colleagues and we touched about on this at the beginning. Like, I don't have thirteen percent reherniations, you know. And 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 honestly, I get the same thing when I talk about the TDR literature and talk about ACDF as comparison. And people say, all my ACDFs do well. They all do well, or almost all of them. And you can't have that many failures or that many reoperations. That was the big buzzword. There's no way you can have 13% reoperations on ACDFs. That's just not, you know. So I've heard that in, in my own studies with, with TDR. So in annular closure, what would you say to these uh, surgeons that just say, oh, there's just no way? Well, there are probably two reasons for it. One Careful. reason being, <laughs> no, one, one reason being, if you look at your, your whole population of 100% and you have a subpopulation of, let's say, 30 or maybe even only 20% of patients that have a big hole, that have a high disc, and those have a regeneration rate of 13%, and you know you're old patients, um, your patients with hardly any disc left, they probably have a less than 1% risk of reherniation in who, whoever's hands you're, you're putting them. Right. And, and this already puts your average um, reherniation rate for the 100% down to four or five. 
which is probably what most people would agree to that even they are having. And then secondly, if you, if you think about trying to preserve disk material and having the advantage of not being aggressive, not risking a 30% low back pain rate after five years, as some studies have shown, then you may have actually a little higher regeneration rates as well. But the idea would be to not be aggressive in the disc, close the hole, and still have acceptable reherniation rates. So, so um, I think those are the reasons. And maybe, maybe another problem we see even here in Germany. I think it may in Austria. It may be more of a problem in the U.S. That I don't see all the patients that I have operated. If they need a reoperation, they may go someplace else. That's and this right. may be the same for some of the American colleagues. Yeah, I was. That's why I said careful. You know, and the other the other part of the careful that I mean, but we're, we're talking to our colleagues, so it's important. You know, is that um, nothing is more humbling than follow-up. So, you know, when we, when we're sitting there and, and, uh, you're absolutely right. Even in my own clinic, it may be, um, it may be one of, one of our other doctors or, um, uh, nurse practitioner or something that sees them. And I don't know it. I, I'm just not aware. And so I think that's, that's the issue. Um, and I think the other issue is that much that I like, I'm part of the ISSG and we, we have two databases. One is prospective ones, retrospective. Well, we can't really compile those two because when you're doing a prospective study, you are capturing things that you never can do retrospectively. So you are really getting down into all of the adverse events at a much more granular detail than, than you can. So I think, I think that's, that's also part of it is that uh, you're just not looking at every single patient and asking every single time, because if you did, you're forgetting about some of those that came in with a re-herniation. You saw them one time. They did well. You never saw them again. They're not in your memory. For now, we'll uh, say thank you to everybody for uh, paying attention and take care and uh, have a great day and everybody be safe. Stay tuned to hear from the experts on benefits, risks, and lessons next time in Chapter 5. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe wherever you're listening. To watch the entire interview, head over to youtube.com forward slash barricade. Thanks, Dr. Nunley and Professor Tomei. And thank you for listening and for helping us build a world where lumbar disc herniation doesn't define lives. To download a copy of the publication synopsis, visit barricade.com and click the Publish Clinical Evidence section or contact your local representative for a print brochure. Keep in mind that the products discussed in this podcast have labeling limitations. Barricade is indicated for reducing the incidence of reherniation and reoperation in skeletally mature patients with radiculopathy, with or without back pain attributed to a posterior or posterior lateral herniation, and confirmed by history, physical examination, and imaging studies, which demonstrate neural compression using MRI to treat a large annular defect between four and six millimeters tall and between six and 10 millimeters wide, following a primary discectomy procedure at a single level between L4 and S1. All medical devices have risks. Please refer to barricade.com instructions for a full list of benefit and risk information. U.S. law restricts this device to sale by or on the order of a physician. The guests on this podcast are consultants of intrinsic therapeutics. Until next time on the Disc Collective Podcast. Mm-hmm.